G'day, I'm Martin Isles, and it's Anzac Day. And so I wanted to share a few reflections on that subject. Uh, I want to start by reading something. We're all familiar with the ode, the verse, which is recited uh, on occasions of military commemoration in Australia since 1921. Well, it's actually a single stanza from a longer poem called For the Fallen by English poet Lawrence Binion. And I want to read you those stanzas before making comment. It says this, With proud thanksgiving, a mother for her children, England mourns for her dead across the sea. Flesh of her flesh they were, spirit of her spirit, fallen in the cause of the free. Solemn the drums thrill. Death, august and royal, sings sorrow up into immortal spheres. There is music in the midst of desolation and a glory that shines upon our tears. They went with songs to the battle. They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. They shall not grow old, as we who are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. They mingle not with their laughing comrades again. They sit no more at familiar tables of home. They have no lot in our labour of the daytime. They sleep beyond England's foam. But where our desires are and our hopes profound, felt as a wellspring that is hidden from sight, to the innermost heart of their own land they are known, as stars are known to the night. As the stars that shall be bright when we are dust, moving in marches upon the heavenly plain, as the stars that are starry in the time of our darkness, to the end, to the end they remain. You know, I used to go to dawn services uh, or indeed walk through the War Memorial uh, here in Canberra uh, when I was a kid and just starting to think through these things. And I went through a period where I wondered why it is that we mark Anzac Day with such solemnity and honour. Is it because we glory in war itself? Is it some misguided notion that all wars that we've ever fought have been good and right and worthy wars? Is it pure patriotism, the idea that, you know, service to our nation is the grandest and the ultimate cause. If those were the things that we remember, then we'd be wrong to do so because there's little glory in war. Uh, some wars do seem to have been pointless and vain. That's the nature of them. And also patriotism, well, it's not the highest virtue and also it can be taken too far. And yet we remember as we honour those who fought in these very causes. This poetry uh, I've read actually tells us why. It's not for those things per se, although you may see hints of some of those things, but there's something deeper. It's something about them. It's something about them which, in the license of the poet, is immortal. The stars that shall be bright when we are dust. Something that goes, lives on. Uh, it tells us, this poet does, that um, their deaths are not like the deaths of others. It says that they were august and royal and uses this kind of language. It also says that, yes, England mourns for her dead across the sea, but also at the same time it says with proud thanksgiving. So there's a kind of a paradox. There's something good in this. And what exactly is it? Well, there's something in their spirit that the poet wishes to claim, to own, to give credit and to identify with. In fact, he wants the whole country to do so. He says, flesh of her flesh they were and spirit of her spirit. Who's her? Well, it's, it's England. And, you know, I may well have wondered what was going on as a kid and uh, thought at one time that was it 
perhaps foolish uh, to uh, to uh, give this honour and say these poetic things uh, about what in hindsight looks uh, to have a lot of problems. But when it comes to the Anzacs, it's their spirit which we honour. That is to say it is their character, the virtues that they demonstrated, the character that they displayed. That is to say the kind of character which would lead them to make an utterly selfless sacrifice of unthinkable cost and unthinkable magnitude for the sake of others. That's what is honoured. We honour their sacrifice. And the poem goes into that. It tells us about the quality of their sacrifice. It says that they are fallen in the cause of the free. So by their sacrifice, the ultimate loss of their freedom, they actually were seeking to secure as best they knew how the freedom of others who they would never see and never know. And they did this even though they were the best and the fairest of those who were fighting for freedom. They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. And they went willingly, again with poetic license, they went with songs to the battle and did it against odds uncounted. And they even gave their commitment right to the end and paid the ultimate cost. They fell with their faces to the foe. We remember them because the qualities of character that they demonstrated were good. In fact, the best. Those who scoff and look back and wag their fists at pointless wars, turn up their nose at blind patriotism and generally criticise the past, I often wonder, well, if you were living in that past, and if that's what you knew and that's the context you found yourself in, would you have these desires? Look, it's doubtless that it was, uh, it, was, it was a patchwork of motivations and there was, it was complex and all the rest of it. But as a generalisation, this notion of, of the valour that is in this kind of sacrifice was there and it was a desire that many of those Anzacs and many soldiers have pursued. Would you have done that to fight for your countrymen, for their freedom, for people you've never met or known, for the ultimate cost, violent death? Would you fall in the cause of the free? You see, there's something quite remarkable about this, quite profound. And the question comes, what was it that made them do it? Why? And I've been thinking about that. And you know, our sense of what is good so often comes from cultural influences, which are quite unconscious. When the Anzacs went over to Egypt for training, Hugh Dolan writes this. He says, for the soldiers and nurses of Australia and New Zealand, Egypt had been a color palette in a Bible, a land of Moses and the Pharaoh. And then I realised that would have been right. That's how many of them would have thought about it. Why? Well, because these guys were overwhelmingly of the Christian faith. In fact, everyone was, well over 95% of the population. They would have read the Bible or had it read to them. They attended church. They believed in God and believed in Jesus Christ, or at least on the whole. That was generally the, 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 the nature of the thing. And even so, marinating in a culture that had a lot of Christian ideals. And, you know, I think that their beliefs... Um, those beliefs along with others would have impacted them and what motivated them. And doubtless for many, as I said, their actions were informed by vague and imperfect things, but they must have all known about an ultimate sacrifice. They must have all known about an ultimate sacrifice that they highly valued. And it's this, Jesus in John 15, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Here is one. Jesus is speaking of himself, of course, because that's what he did in the symbol and actually the reality of ultimate sacrifice. Here is one who 
he fell in the cause of the free. A greater freedom than the freedoms for which soldiers of this world have fought. His sacrifice was for our ultimate freedom from sin and for peace with God. Here is one who was also the best and the fairest, as the poem said of these guys, the son of God who died for the unworthy. He who knew no sin became sin for us, says scripture. And he did it willingly for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He prayed, not my will, but yours be done before his death, even, even as he contemplated the magnitude of it. And he followed it through right to the end, right up until those words passed his lips, it is finished. He died the death that we deserve to die. He sacrificed himself so that we might have more than freedom, so that we might have the life that we did not deserve to have, which is eternal. And again, just as in that poem, though we mourn, because of the need for that death and the cost of it, my goodness, we rejoice because of what that death has won. And I do encourage you to mark Anzac Day, honour the sacrifice of those who gave themselves on behalf of others, because that is a noble thing. It's a remarkable thing, in fact. But as you contemplate a nation that has stopped to remember those heroes and to honour them, ask yourself, Have you stopped to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and honour him accordingly for the greatest sacrifice of all? Let me read you some alternative battle poetry, uh, this time from Henry, Henry Champney. It says this, Truly God, yet become truly human, lower than angels to die in our place. How did you humble yourself to be taken? led by your creatures and nailed to the cross, hated of men and of God too forsaken, shunning not darkness, the curse and the loss. How have you triumphed and triumphed with glory, battled death's forces, rolled back every wave? Can we refrain then from telling the story how you are victor over death and the grave? Of course, the answer is, well, no, I can't refrain from telling the story. That's why I talk about it so often on the truth of it. There is an ultimate sacrifice that is all perfect, all good, not with mixed motives, absolutely pure in all the ways idealized in that poem that I read. And perhaps the first Anzacs tried in some imperfect way to emulate it. I'm sure a number of them did have that in their mind, but it still stands supreme, even in light of that great cost that the soldiers bore, it still stands supreme as the greatest sacrifice of all. I'm Martin Niles, and that was the truth of it.